Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. I created this podcast because I wanted to provide a quiet space for comfort for my listeners. Life can get really busy, and I want this podcast to be a soft place to land at the end of the day where you feel safe and cozy as I read you a bedtime story to help you unwind and relax as you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support the show so that we can continue to bring you even more sleepy bedtime stories, we've created a premium membership where you can enjoy relaxing, intro and ad-free listening, two monthly bonus episodes, as well as access to a monthly guided sleep relaxation or sleep hypnosis that you can use at bedtime to help you sleep. Go sign up at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com. Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder The story takes place in 1871 and is about a young girl by the name of Laura Ingalls and her family who live in a house in the woods and about the challenges and the joys of pioneer life. And so, as always, my friend, settling comfortably under the covers, take a full, comfortable breath, and as you exhale, Relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing else to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back. Relax and enjoy the story. Chapter 12 The Wonderful Machine Next day, Pa cut the heads from several bundles of the oats and brought the clean, bright yellow straws to Ma. She put them in a tub of water to soften them and keep them soft. Then she sat in the chair by the side of the tub and braided the straws. She took up several of them, knotted their ends together, and began to braid. The straws were different lengths, and when she came near the end of one straw, she put a new long one from the tub in its place and went on braiding. She let the end of the braid fall back into the water and kept on braiding till she had many yards of braid. All her spare time for days, she was braiding straws. She made a fine, narrow, smooth braid using seven of the smallest straws. She used nine larger straws for a wider braid and made it notched all along the edges. And from the very largest straws, she made the widest braid of all. When all the straws were braided, she threaded a needle with strong white thread and beginning at the end of a braid, she sewed it round and round, 
holding the braid so it would lie flat after it was sewed. This made a little mat, and Ma said it was the top of the crown of a hat. Then she held the braid tighter on one edge and kept on sewing it around and around. The braid drew in and made the sides of the crown. When the crown was high enough, Ma held the braid loosely again as she kept on sewing around, and the braid lay flat and was the hat brim. When the brim was wide enough, Ma cut the braid and sewed the end fast so that it could not unbraid itself. Ma sewed hats for Mary and Laura of the finest, narrowest braid. For Pa and for herself, she made hats of the wider, notched braid. That was Pa's Sunday hat. Then she made him two everyday hats of the coarser, widest braid. When she finished a hat, Ma set it on a board to dry, shaping it nicely as she did so. And when it dried, it stayed in the shape she gave it. Ma could make beautiful hats. Laura liked to watch her, and she learned how to braid the straw and made a little hat for Charlotte. The days were growing shorter, and the nights were cooler. One night, Jack Frost passed by, and in the morning there were bright colors here and there among the green leaves of the big woods. Then all the leaves stopped being green. They were yellow and scarlet and crimson and golden and brown. Along the rail fence, the sumac held up its dark red cones of berries above bright flamed colored leaves. Acorns were falling from the oaks, and Laura and Mary made little acorn cups and saucers for the playhouses. Walnuts and hickory nuts were dropping to the ground in the big woods, and squirrels were scampering busily everywhere gathering their winter store of nuts and hiding them away in hollow trees. Laura and Mary went with Ma to gather walnuts and hickory nuts and hazelnuts. They spread them in the sun to dry. Then they beat off the dried outer hulls and stored the nuts in the attic for the winter. It was fun to gather the large round walnuts and the smaller hickory nuts and the little hazelnuts that grew in bunches on the bushes. The soft outer hulls of the walnuts were full of a brown juice that stained their hands, but the hazelnut hulls smelled good and tasted good, too, when Laura used her teeth to pry a nut loose. Everyone was busy now, for all the garden vegetables must be stored away. Laura and Mary helped, picking up the dusty potatoes after Pa had dug them from the ground and pulling the long yellow carrots and the round purple top turnips, and they helped Ma cook the pumpkins for pumpkin pies. With the butcher knife, Ma cut the big orange-colored pumpkins into halves. She cleaned the seeds out of the center and cut the pumpkin into long slices from which she pared the rind. Laura helped her cut the slices into cubes. Ma put the cubes in the big iron pot on the stove, poured in some water, and then watched while the pumpkin slowly boiled down all day long. All the water and the juice must be boiled away, and the pumpkin must never burn. The pumpkin was a thick, dark, good-smelling mass in the kettle. It did not boil like water, 
but bubbles came up in it and suddenly exploded, leaving holes that closed quickly. Every time a bubble exploded, the rich, hot pumpkin smell came out. Laura stood on a chair and watched the pumpkin for Ma and stirred it with a wooden paddle. She held the paddle in both hands and stirred carefully, because if the pumpkin burned, there wouldn't be any pumpkin pies. For dinner, they ate the stewed pumpkin with their bread. They made it into pretty shapes on their plates. It was a beautiful color and smoothed and molded so prettily with their knives. Ma never allowed them to play with their food at table. They must always eat nicely everything that was set before them, leaving nothing on their plates. But she did let them make the rich brown stewed pumpkin into pretty shapes before they ate it. At other times, they had baked Hubbard squash for dinner. The rind was so hard that Ma had to take Pa's axe to cut the squash into pieces. When the pieces were baked in the oven, Laura loved to spread the soft insides with butter and then scoop the yellow flesh from the rind and eat it. For supper, now, they often had hulled corn and milk. That was good, too. It was so good that Laura could hardly wait for the corn to be ready after Ma started to hull it. It took two or three days to make hulled corn. The first day, Ma cleaned and brushed all the ashes out of the cook stove. Then she burned some clean, bright hardwood and saved its ashes. She put the hardwood ashes in a little cloth bag. That night, Pa brought in some ears of corn with large plump kernels. He nubbed the ears, shelling off the small, chaffy kernels at their tips. Then he shelled the rest into a large pan until the pan was full. Early next day, Ma put the shelled corn and the bag of ashes into the big iron kettle. She filled the kettle with water and kept it boiling a long time. At last, the kernels of corn began to swell, and they swelled and swelled, until their skins split open and began to peel off. When every skin was loose and peeling, Ma lugged the heavy kettle outdoors. She filled a clean wash tub with cold water from the spring, and she dipped the corn out of the kettle into the tub. Then she rolled the sleeves of her flowered calico dress above her elbows, and she knelt by the tub. With her hands, she rubbed and scrubbed the corn until the hulls came off and floated on top of the water. Often, she poured the water off and filled the tub again with buckets of water from the spring. She kept on rubbing and scrubbing the corn between her hands and changing the water until every hull came off and was washed away. Ma looked pretty, with her bare arms plump and white, her cheeks so red, and her dark hair smooth and shining, while she scrubbed and rubbed the corn in the clear water. She never splashed one drop of water on her pretty dress. When at last the corn was done, Ma put all the soft white kernels in a big jar in the pantry. Then at last, 
they had hulled corn and milk for supper. Sometimes they had hulled corn for breakfast with maple syrup, and sometimes Ma fried the soft kernels in pork drippings, but Laura liked them best with milk. Autumn was great fun. There was so much work to do, so many good things to eat, so many new things to see. Laura was scampering and chattering like the squirrels from morning to night. One frosty morning, a machine came up the road. Four horses were pulling it, and two men were on it. The horses hauled it up into the field where Pa and Uncle Henry and Grandpa and Mr. Peterson had stacked their wheat. Two more men drove after it another smaller machine. Pa called to Ma that the threshers had come. Then he hurried out to the field with his team. Laura and Mary asked Ma, and then they ran out to the field after him. They might watch if they were careful not to get in the way. Uncle Henry came riding up and tied his horse to a tree. Then he and Pa hitched all the other horses, eight of them, to the smaller machine. They hitched each team to the end of a long stick that came up from the center of the machine. A long iron rod lay along the ground from this machine to the big machine. Afterward, Laura and Mary asked questions and Pa told them that the big machine was called the separator, and the rod was called the tumbling rod, and the little machine was called the horsepower. Eight horses were hitched to it and made it go, so this was an eight-horsepower machine. A man sat on top of the horsepower, and when everything was ready, he clucked to the horses, and they began to go. They walked around him in a circle, each team pulling on the long stick to which it was hitched and following the team ahead. As they went around, they stepped carefully over the tumbling rod, which was tumbling over and over on the ground. Their pulling made the tumbling rod keep rolling over, and the rod moved the machinery of the separator, which stood beside the stack of wheat. All this machinery made an enormous racket, rackety banging and clanging. Laura and Mary held tight to each other's hand at the edge of the field and watched with all their eyes. They had never seen a machine before. They had never heard such a racket. Pa and Uncle Henry, on top of the wheat stack, were pitching bundles down onto a board. A man stood at the board and cut the bands on the bundles and crowded the bundles one at a time into a hole at the end of the separator. The hole looked like the separator's mouth, and it had long iron teeth. The teeth were chewing. They chewed the bundles, and the separator swallowed them. Straw blew out of the separator's other end, and wheat poured out of its side. Two men were working fast, trampling the straw and building it into a stack. One man was working fast, sacking the pouring grain. The grains of wheat poured out of the separator into a half-bushel measure, and as fast as the measure filled, the man slipped an empty one into its place 
and emptied the full one into a sack. He had just time to empty it and slip it back under the spout before the other measure ran over. All the men were working as fast as they possibly could, but the machine kept right up with them. Laura and Mary were so excited they could hardly breathe. They held hands tightly and stared. The horses walked around and around. The separator swallowed the bundles. The golden straw blew out in a golden cloud. The wheat streamed golden brown out of the spout while the men hurried. Pa and Uncle Henry pitched bundles down as fast as they could, and chaff and dust blew over everything. Laura and Mary watched as long as they could. Then they ran back to the house to help Ma get dinner for all those men. A big kettle of cabbage and meat was boiling on the stove. A big pan of beans and a johnny cake were baking in the oven. Laura and Mary set the table for the threshers. They put on salt-rising bread and butter, bowls of stewed pumpkin, pumpkin pies, and dried berry pies and cookies, cheese and honey, and pitchers of milk. Then Ma put on the boiled potatoes and cabbage and meat, the baked beans, the hot johnny cake, and the baked Hubbard squash, and she poured the tea. Laura always wondered why bread made of cornmeal was called johnny cake. It wasn't cake. Ma didn't know, unless the northern soldiers called it johnny cake, because the people in the south, where they fought, ate so much of it. They called the southern soldiers johnny rebs. Maybe they called the southern bread cake just for fun. Ma had heard some say it should be called journey cake. She didn't know. It wouldn't be very good bread to take on a journey. At noon, the threshers came in to the table loaded with food, but there was none too much, for threshers work hard and get very hungry. By the middle of the afternoon, the machines had finished all the threshing, and the men who owned them drove them away into the big woods, taking with them the sacks of wheat that were their pay. They were going to the next place where neighbors had stacked their wheat and wanted the machines to thresh it. Pa was very tired that night, but he was happy. He said to Ma, It would have taken Henry and Peterson and Pa and me a couple of weeks apiece to thresh as much grain with flails as the machine threshed today. We wouldn't have got as much wheat either, and it wouldn't have been as clean. That machine's a great invention, he said. Other folks can stick to old-fashioned ways if they want to, but I'm all for progress. It's a great age we're living in. As long as I raise wheat, I'm going to have a machine come and thresh it, if there's one anywhere in the neighborhood. He was too tired that night to talk to Laura, but Laura was proud of him. It was Pa who had got the other men to stack their wheat together and send for the threshing machine, and it was a wonderful machine. Everyone was glad it had come. Chapter 13 The Deer in the Wood The grass was dry and withered, 
and the cows must be taken out of the woods and kept in the barn to be fed. All the bright-colored leaves became dull brown when the cold fall rains began. There was no more playing under the trees, but Pa was in the house when it rained, and he began again to play the fiddle after supper. Then the rains stopped. The weather grew colder. In the early mornings, everything sparkled with frost. The days were growing short, and a little fire burned all day in the cook stove to keep the house warm. Winter was not far away. The attic and the cellar were full of good things once more, and Laura and Mary had started to make patchwork quilts. Everything was beginning to be snug and cozy again. One night, when he came in from doing the chores, Pa said that after supper he would go to his deer lick and watch for a deer. There had been no fresh meat in the little house since spring, but now the fawns were grown up and Pa would go hunting again. Pa had made a deer lick in an open place in the woods, with trees nearby in which he could sit to watch it. A deer lick was a place where the deer came to get salt. When they found a salty place in the ground, they came there to lick it, and that was called a deer lick. Pa had made one by sprinkling salt over the ground. After supper, Pa took his gun and went into the woods, and Laura and Mary went to sleep without any stories or music. As soon as they woke in the morning, they ran to the window, but there was no deer hanging in the trees. Pa had never before gone out to get a deer and come home without one. Laura and Mary did not know what to think. All day, Pa was busy banking the little house and the barn with dead leaves and straw held down by stones to keep out the cold. The weather grew colder all day, and that night there was once more a fire on the hearth, and the windows were shut tight and chinked for the winter. After supper, Pa took Laura on his knee, while Mary sat close in her little chair, and Pa said, Now I'll tell you why you had no fresh meat to eat today. When I went out to the deer leg, I climbed up into a big oak tree. I found a place on a branch where I was comfortable and could watch the deer leg. I was near enough to shoot any animal that came to it, and my gun was loaded and ready on my knee. There I sat and waited for the moon to rise and light the clearing. I was a little tired from chopping wood all day yesterday, and I must have fallen asleep, for I found myself opening my eyes. The big round moon was just rising. I could see it between the bare branches of the trees, low in the sky, and right against it I saw a deer standing. His head was up and he was listening. His great branching horns stood out above his head. He was dark against the moon. It was a perfect shot, but he was so beautiful. He looked so strong and free and wild that I couldn't kill him. I sat there and looked at him until he bounded away into the dark woods. Then I remembered 
that Ma and my little girls were waiting for me to bring home some good fresh venison. I made up my mind that next time I would shoot. After a while, a big bear came lumbering out into the open. He was so fat from feasting on berries and roots and grubs all summer that he was nearly as large as two bears. His head swayed from side to side as he went on all fours across the clear space in the moonlight until he came to a rotten log. He smelled it and listened. Then he potted apart and sniffed among the broken pieces, eating up the fat white grubs. Then he stood up on his hind legs, perfectly still, looking all around him. He seemed to be suspicious that something was wrong. He was trying to see or smell what it was. He was a perfect mark to shoot at, but I was so interested in watching him, and the woods were so peaceful in the moonlight that I forgot all about my gun. I did not even think of shooting him until he was waddling away into the woods. This will never do, I thought. I'll never get any meat this way. I settled myself in the tree and waited again. This time, I determined to shoot the next game I saw. The moon had risen higher, and the moonlight was bright in the little open place. All around it, the shadows were dark among the trees. After a long while, a doe and her yearling fawn came stepping daintily out of the shadows. They were not afraid at all. They walked over to the place where I had sprinkled the salt, and they both licked up a little of it. Then they raised their heads and looked at each other. The fawn stepped over and stood beside the doe. They stood there together, looking at the woods and the moonlight. Their large eyes were shining and soft. I just sat there, looking at them, until they walked away among the shadows. Then I climbed down out of the tree and came home. Laura whispered in his ear, I'm glad you didn't shoot them. Mary said, We can eat bread and butter. Pa lifted Mary up out of her chair and hugged them both together. You're my good girls, he said, and now it's bedtime. Run along while I get my fiddle. When Laura and Mary had said their prayers and were tucked snugly under the trundle bed's covers, Pa was sitting in the firelight with the fiddle. Ma had blown out the lamp because she did not need its light. On the other side of the hearth, she was swaying gently in her rocking chair and her knitting needles flashed in and out above the sock she was knitting. The long winter evenings of firelight and music had come again. Pa's fiddle wailed, while Pa was singing. When the fiddle had stopped singing, Pa said, Go to sleep now. But Laura lay awake a little while, listening to Pa's fiddle softly playing, and to the lonely sound of the wind in the big woods. She looked at Pa sitting on the bench by the hearth, the firelight gleaming on his brown hair and beard and glistening on the honey-brown fiddle. She looked at Ma, gently rocking and knitting, and she thought to herself, This is now.
She was glad that the cozy house and Pa and Ma and the firelight and the music were now. They could not be forgotten, she thought, because now is now. It could never be a long time ago.